Hello and welcome to another episode of From God to Us. We are currently in our series, Journey Through the New Testament. So far, we've covered the introduction and the four gospel accounts, giving you an overview of those books as well as a look at some of the most important passages. Today, we come to the last of what's known as the historical books, the Book of Acts. The book of Acts records the institution of the new covenant and the foundation and expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. When we look at the book of Acts, we might state the theme as such. In his second volume, Dr. Luke records the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jesus' followers as the gospel expands from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The coming of the Holy Spirit marks the beginning of the church, and he is the source of the church's growth and expansion. The word acts comes from a Greek word, prexis, which was commonly used to speak of um, outstanding men in Greek culture and talk about their great accomplishments. So the book is sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But when we look at the book, the two apostles that are mentioned most often are Peter and Paul. We might just say that the book could be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. The book traces the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to much of the Roman Empire. As the gospel goes forth, people begin to receive Jesus Christ and new churches are established not only in Israel, but in various parts of the Roman Empire in various cities. Luke's account provides a historical background for all the epistles, especially for Paul's writings. Without the book of Acts, it would be more difficult to understand these writings because he gives us this history, this background of what Paul is doing when he's taking these missionary journeys. So the book of Acts is very important into our understanding of the rest of the New Testament. The word assembly comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which basically means assembly. And the assembly of Christ's followers begin to be referred to as the church or the assembly in Acts 5.11. And the term is used 18 more times in the book of Acts. Again, as we said, the Greek word ekklesia can simply be translated assembly. But it is the word that is referred to and translated church. This word referred to the local assemblies of believers as well as to Christ followers as a whole. Then when we look at this movement, some people would call it a religious movement, but this, this new movement that was coming on the scene was not called Christianity at first. Uh, this movement, con the conversion of individuals to faith in Christ and the spread of the church was called the way. This term is used five times in the book of Acts, in 9-2, 19-9, and 23, 22-4, 22-14, and 24-22. In Acts 11-26, the believers at the church of Antioch were called Christians for the first time. It seems that this name of Christian was given to the followers of Christ by other people may have originated with the, the Christians themselves. But the point is, Christians, as we call them today, really weren't known as Christians. They were simply Christ followers. 
and their movement was called away. It was only as time passed on that eventually the Christ followers were called Christians and our, our movement or what we would call maybe a religious movement is called Christianity only in later times. The term Christian is only used three times in the New Testament in 11, 26, Acts 26, 28, and in 1 Peter 4, 16. So the purpose here is just to let you know that this idea of developing of the church and the developing of Christianity, uh, the names kind of evolved and, and ultimately it became known as Christianity over time. As we said, in the book of Luke, Luke is the author of both the Gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. It seems to be he wrote this prior to 64 AD. And the reason we see that is say that is because he didn't mention anything about the persecution under Nero in around 64 AD, which was very severe. He didn't mention Paul's death, which we believe was around 68 AD, nor the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So it appears that he wrote uh, this account prior to 64 AD. As with the gospel account, Luke must have received the majority of his information from eyewitnesses until the events recorded prior to Acts 16.9. In Acts 16.10, we notice a change in the pronoun from third person, they, to first person, we, and us. Luke joined Paul in his missionary journeys at this point. And although he wasn't with him on every occasion, he became an eyewitness rather than just a historian. But, as we said with Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke was a very good historian and he interviewed people, he sought to get his facts straight, and we can trust the things that he has recorded for us, not only because of his effort, but also because this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The purpose for the book of Acts, Luke's purpose seems to be to record the primary events and teachings of the early church as it spread throughout much of the Roman Empire. He obviously doesn't record every event. There, there's some gaps in the historical record, but he recorded those that were deemed necessary by the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the book, again, it's very much like the Gospel of Luke in its literary style and content. Uh, it's unsurpassed uh, compared to all the other books in the New Testament. Luke uses over 700 words not found in the other 25 New Testament books. So he was, he was a very good ling linguist. He, he had a very large breadth of information and, and a word of words to use in the writing, in his writings. He appears to have been well-versed in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, by the language he uses in his writing and also by the quotations that he uses. It's interesting to note that Luke includes 80 geographical references and mentions more than 100 people by name in the book of Acts. So as we said in Luke, Dr. Luke was very interested in people. Another feature of the book is that uh, a good bit of space is given to speeches or sermons and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. That's kind of the, the introduction to the book and gives you a little background to it. When we look at the structure of the book, I see the structure of the book as basically recorded for us in Acts 1-8 when Jesus told his disciples, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as I see the book, the church in Jerusalem covers chapters 1 through 7. The church in Judea and Samaria is chapters 8 through 12. And the church to the ends of the earth is chapters 13 through 28, as we see the gospel spreading throughout the Roman Empire. In that first section, the church in Jerusalem, we see that uh, chapter 1 begins with Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit and his ascension into heaven. The disciples return to Jerusalem. Uh, they choose a replacement for Judas named Matthias. Uh, they're huddled in a room. They're very afraid. But then in chapter 2, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. Peter, Peter stands and preaches a great sermon and 3,000 people are saved and, and are baptized. This is the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the new covenant and the source and empowerment of the church. The church continues to grow in Jerusalem through the apostles' ministry, but especially through Peter and John. Then this section, these first seven chapters, ends with the death of Stephen, who becomes the first Christian martyr. In the next section, the gospel spreads to Judea and Samaria, we see that the church expands outside of Jerusalem. Philip goes to Samaria, and the people there in the city of Samaria believe. And when Peter and John come, they receive the Holy Spirit. In addition, the eunuch from Ethiopia is converted and baptized. The dramatic conversion of the Saul of Tarsus becomes a crucial part in the church's expansion. But possibly, maybe the most significant part of this section is the conversion of Cornelius and other Gentiles in Caesarea. Uh, when, the, when they also receive the Holy Spirit, the apostles finally conclude that indeed, God has extended his grace to even the Gentiles. And this becomes the foundation for the next chapters. This is somewhat difficult for us to understand because Today, we understand that the gospel message goes to all people. And the majority of the church today are non-Jews or Gentiles. But you see, for the church in that day, this was, this was an amazing thing. Because you remember that the early church was all, almost all Jewish people. And the promise of the new covenant was given to the nation of Israel. So when the Gentiles believe and receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues the same way that the Jewish people do. This is something amazing. And in fact, later on, they have to have a church council to try to decide, do the Gentiles need to follow the ways of the Jews and obey the law? It's, again, it's hard for us to understand from our point of view, but in those days, the, the, the apostles and the disciples and the early Christians were still all very much Jewish people. They were still abiding by much of the law because that was their way of life. And now things change with the coming of the new covenant, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and now the expansion of the gospel and the church and God's promises to the Gentiles is just something that's hard for some of them to actually grasp. Then we come to the next section, which is the church to the ends of the earth. Uh, or the, throughout the Roman Empire, and this is 
chapters 13 through 28. And uh, here we, we begin to see that Paul becomes the more prominent apostle now. Um, he starts his missionary journeys. He takes Barnabas with him on his first missionary journey, and they go through Cyprus, Antioch, and Galatia, and eventually return to Jerusalem. Um, and if you remember when we did the overview of the book, Paul's first epistle probably was Galatians and was written at the end of this missionary journey. But between this and his next journey, now that the Gentiles are coming to Christ, there begins this question among the Jewish people. Well, should we make the Gentiles obey parts of the law? And so a council is held in Jerusalem. We find this in Acts chapter 15. And they finally decide, no, it, it, they don't really have to abide by the law. So it, again, it's hard for us to comprehend this, but these were major things that were happening. As I said earlier, this is really a book of transition. The book of Acts is a book of transition. We're transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant. From the old way to a new way. From Jews being the primary people through whom God worked to now the Gentiles also being included in the promises of God. So it, it's a transition. Paul then takes a second missionary journey and that extends into Macedonia where he gets the Macedonian call. Um, and on the third journey, he retraces much of the steps of the second journey. At the end of the third journey, Paul goes to Jerusalem where he's arrested by the Jewish leaders and put on trial. Now, Paul knows he's going to be arrested when he goes there, but he goes anyway. He believes this is God's will. He eventually testifies before Governor Felix, Governor Festus, and King Agrippa over a period of several years. Now, finally, because of his appeal to Caesar, he is sent to Rome. Uh, the ship sails on and is torn apart at sea, and they are... The people in the boat are all arrived safe on an island, and they have to overwinter there. But eventually, they take another boat, and Paul arrives in Rome, where he continues to preach and minister to people. And that is the big, very big picture overview of the book of Acts. But as we continue on, you, there are some very important themes, and I think it's uh, important to point out at this time. And the first of those would be the Holy Spirit. As we mentioned earlier, it's very significant in the book. The Holy Spirit is mentioned at least 58 times in the book of Acts. And he is the source of all the great miracles and the expansion of the church. Uh, Jesus promises the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to his disciples there in Acts chapter 1. And Luke records the first account of the Holy Spirit's indwelling there in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is the significant force behind the establishment of Jesus' church for we see a group of scared disciples huddled together in prayer suddenly turn into outspoken men and women, unafraid of the consequences of their actions. This coming of the Holy Spirit was not only the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, it is the fulfillment of the new covenant, which was promised in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. And again, we find that this covenant ultimately is extended to the Gentiles as well. Another theme as uh, Peter and Paul, these are the two primary apostles, although John is mentioned some in the first few chapters. Peter seems to be the primary one through whom God is working in the first half of the book. Again, he's working through all the apostles. They're just not all mentioned. 
though the apostles, again, are mentioned in general, Peter and Paul, take the center stage. Peter is the primary apostle in the first 12 chapters. He is the apostle to the Jews, as we find out later. And on the day of Pentecost, he is empowered in their presence uh, of, of all the people. He preaches his sermon, and the, the church is founded when the people respond to his preaching. We remember that Jesus told Peter, uh, you are Peter, which is really a name which means rock he says and upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it now let me just say quickly this is not the promise that peter was the first pope it's just simply jesus saying i'm going to build my church on you and we find out later that paul says the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets but peter is a primary one he's kind of the catalyst to get things going god uses peter to start things off and he's the very prominent apostle in these first few chapters so he takes again he takes center stage in those first 12 chapters then from chapter 13 to the end of the book paul or saul of tarsus becomes the primary apostle in this account his dramatic conversion uh, earlier in chapter 9 but then later we see that he comes back to Damascus, uh, he preaches, uh, but ultimately he is brought by Barnabas before the disciples, he's accepted, uh, and then eventually the Holy Spirit set he and Barnabas apart to go on their first missionary journey. And so Paul takes his first to second, his third missionary journeys, and pretty much the rest of the book centers around uh, the Apostle Paul. So these are the two primary apostles that we find in the book of Acts. Another uh, theme we see is miracles, signs, and wonders. The early church was given evidence of God's power through these miracles, signs, and wonders that were done through the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the exact nature of these signs and wonders was not specifically mentioned. It just says miracles, signs, and wonders. Some of the miracles are mentioned. Some of the healings, a person raised from the dead, the speaking in tongues. There's some things that are mentioned but sometimes it just speaks generically of those things up through about chapter 1912. From 1913 through the end of the book, there's really no mention of other miracles. That doesn't mean that they aren't done. This, God did not have these things recorded. And so what we see is that I believe that God gave these signs for the establishment of his church. Something new was happening. And God often gives these special miracles or special signs when he's affirming his messengers uh, but it's not necessary for uh, for the rest of the church's existence i'm not saying that miracles and signs and wonders don't sometimes still happen but some people think that this is a requirement if you don't have miracle signs and wonders you're not the church and that's not true uh, miracle signs and wonders were given as a part of the establishment of the church and they can be done anytime the holy spirit so desires to do so uh, but I think we see there is some reduction in some of the miracle signs and wonders as we progress on through the book. Another theme would be the missionary journeys. We've kind of already mentioned those, but those are significant part of the last half of the book, Paul's missionary journeys and his journey to, to Rome. Those are really take up on much of the last part of the book. And as we mentioned earlier, the sermons and messages are a theme. In 28 chapters, there are at least 24 recorded messages. 
Some of these are kind of in the form of a sermon that are proclaimed to the crowd, and some are just individual testimonies, but they're long messages given by different people. But in these messages, we find the primary message of the apostles, uh, which is their testimony of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Well, there you have it, the big picture overview of the book of Acts. And again, in the next episode, we'll be looking at some individual passages. But before we close out this episode, let's look at some of the lessons that we might learn from the book of Acts. First is that the church of Jesus Christ must be empowered by dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It should go without saying, but I think sometimes people get more dependent upon themselves than the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our source of power. He's our source of accomplishing anything for Christ in this world. Number two, we say God has a purpose and a plan for this world, and he will carry it out through the lives of faithful believers. God is still carrying out his plan. Sometimes we look around us and we wonder what God is doing. We wonder why things are happening. But God's not asleep. The Holy Spirit hasn't left. God is still working and he's doing it through his faithful believers. God will give miraculous signs when he chooses. He can give them anytime. He can give them now. He can stop giving them. It doesn't matter. We don't need to force miraculous signs. We just trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and he gives them whenever he needs to or wants to. And then fourth, the church of Jesus Christ is God's kingdom on earth at this time. And we talk about the kingdom of God. It has taken, the kingdom of God on earth has taken many forms. And I believe there will be another form in the future. But for now, the church is the expression of the kingdom of God on earth. Then we think about how we might apply this in our life today. We must continue to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit daily if we want to see God work in our lives. It's a daily thing. Um, the Holy Spirit, the power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is permanent, but the work of the Holy Spirit, the outworking of the Holy Spirit is dependent upon us being dependent upon Him. We must walk in the power of the Spirit. It is still our privilege to share the gospel with other people. As long as we're alive on this earth, we have the opportunity. Not everyone is an evangelist. You may not share the gospel with every person you meet, but it is a privilege to share this truth of the gospel with other people. Finally, I would say, use your spiritual gifts to honor Jesus Christ and to advance his kingdom. We'll find out later in Paul's epistles and some of the books, later books of the New Testament, we all have spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. We have different gifts. There's different gifts for different people and different expressions of those gifts. But use your gift, whatever it is, to honor Jesus Christ and to advance his kingdom. Well, thank you for listening in on this episode of From God to Us. We have given you the big picture overview. There's much still to cover in the next episode as we dig into some of the specific passages, some of the significant passages in the book of Acts. Again, we'll cover that in the next episode. So I trust and pray that God will continue to bless you as you serve him. 
and as you seek to study his word.